Pazuzi has been poured. The candle is lit. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. And here we are. Here we are. I mean, the technical difficulties tonight. They're just rolling. Yeah. It's uh, been really exciting. And uh, the only solace I have is this beautiful bevy <laughs> that is sitting right in front of me. Uh, Andemic went above and beyond tonight. Not only should, did she create the pazoos, she created the glassware the pazoos is in. Yeah, you know, I just, um, I had a moment of creativity, I suppose. And uh, I, if you've ever been to the Dollar Tree, you know that it is amazing. Yes, correct. And I'll say that, you know, some things that should be 15 for a dollar, you pay a dollar for one, but you don't give a shit because you just feel like you're getting a deal. Yeah. So they had these fun glasses and they have an, a neat little art section. So I bought some puffy paint. Heck yeah. So they say the horror salon on them. And then mm-hmm. I just made bloody handprints. Well, just kind of like blood smears. Like somebody really went to town on something that, that left a lot of blood and then had a beer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It looked like a horror show. Yeah. Happened. No rhyme or reason to that. No. Just Just splatter. But love it. Yeah. Love every minute. So the drink we're going to be having tonight is, um, it's called the Lonesome Headlight Mm -hmm. in honor of all the disembodied headlights, uh, urban legends uh, out there, basically. And if I didn't say it before, we're doing urban legends tonight. Yes, we are. Uh, So the Lonesome Headlight, I figured that a lot of these urban legends come from the 50s and 60s. So what was popular amongst the teens of the 50s and 60s, teen bikers, all of that, um beer yeah oh yeah uh cheap beer yes so this is a tall we would call this a pilsner glass i suppose i think so pilsner glass with insert beer here because really this is up to you this is where you get to be creative exactly i have chosen two iron city lights yes um some of you who have have known my quest for iron city beer all of a sudden i have a six pack of iron city and i have two icy lights when it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. Iron City. That's great. And um, and I'm not suggesting that it's cheap beer. It's just what I had. So that's yeah. what we're using. Yeah. So to set it apart as the Lonesome Headlight, I have floated in them two glow balls, which you'll see a picture of this. If you follow us on Instagram, you will see a picture of the magnificence. Look at the... I just... I, I have to point out something <laughs> that's happening. The effervescence... Underneath, and the glow ball is glowing. It looks like lava. Oh my god, it does. Sorry, that's distra- freaking awesome. It distracted me. I'm sorry. Like radioactive blood, maybe. Yeah, I love that. So, um, so tonight we drink in honor of all the reckless teens who were the fodder for so many urban legends that take place on desolate stretches of back road, the crybaby bridge, the weeping prom dates, mm-hmm. the wandering teen angels. Mm-hmm. Down the hatch, witch. Oh, down the hatch. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm-mm. That's so good. Yeah. The I'm trying to recall because we just had Iron City beer. Like the, the we did full the full bodied version. I <laughs> we did. I'm trying to figure out what the difference is here because it still has a lot of good flavor. It's just a little, just a touch Maybe smoother. Maybe a tiny bit smoother, yeah. Yeah, just a tiny bit, because Iron City beer is really pretty smooth. Yeah, it's a, it was very smooth. 
Yeah. So, but it's still, I, I mean, it's good. I liked Iron City Beer and I like Icy Light. So there you go. So there it is. There you um, go. The Pazoos. We hope you'll all join us. I mean, these glow balls were $1 each Literally. at the Dollar Tree. And worth every penny. Worth it. every penny. That's super fun. Um, it was a little precarious breaking the little glow thingies inside. Oh, yeah. It required a lot, of smashing, a lot of smashing, but, but fine. But that's fine. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. Oh, God. Okay. So. So, Andemic. You have some exciting news to share. I do, yeah. I just wanted to give a quick shout out. This doesn't have anything to do with Urban Legends, but it does have to do with an upcoming guest on our show. Um, I just wanted to give him a shout out. Uh, James J. Siegel. Yeah. He is, yeah, he is uh, one of my very best friends and this brilliant poet. Um, And he has two books under his belt, How Ghosts Travel and The God of San Francisco. He has made the Kenyan Review. Awesome. Um, a very big deal. Amazing. And I, I, I just wanted to give him a shout out now so you know uh, the quality of what you're going to be in for when we do our horror poetry episode. Yes. Which will feature Jay and the work that uh, his work from How Ghost Travel, which is all about Ohio. Yes. And I am so excited because Jay actually had an event. That was recently, wasn't it? Where he uh, read some of his poetry yes. from his newest yes, collection. Yes, that's right, yes. And I watched that event, and mm-hmm. it was wonderful. He's like, phenomenal. Gorgeous poetry. Um, but I've never heard his first The Ohio yes, stuff. I'm super excited. Oh, my God. It is, I just kind of, it, it makes me feel like October, his work does. I love that. Um, it's the best kind of feeling. Yeah, it is. It, it's the only way I can describe it, and that's how it feels. So anyway, way to go. JJ, James J. Siegel, the fancy Uh, version. Congratulations, Jay. (laughs) Okay, great. We're so excited. So. Urban legends. Yeah. um, Babysitters, in danger. Yes. Uh, Amorous couples, in danger. Yes. Naughty children, in danger. So much danger. Uh, Killers dressed in bunny suits. Terrifying. Uh, Hooks screeching down a window. Mm -hmm. Licking killers. Uh. Bumps in the night. Yep. Here we go. Here we go. Oh my gosh, what a list. (laughs) What an absolute list. Um, So we've talked a lot and I think it's probably because how can you talk horror and not talk urban legends? It's like the two are so intertwined. Yeah. But we've talked a lot about some urban legends on this podcast before and some of the stuff that we're doing. But tonight I'm excited to deep dive into... The urban legend as a genre, but then also some urban legends that have stuck, particularly <laughs> with the two of us. Mm-hmm. So, and it was kind of fun to do this research because for how uh, common urban legends are in our society, I'd never really looked into them as like a collection of literature. True. But they're super cool like they're super interesting to learn a little bit more about their history and how they function Mm -hmm. in society so basically urban legends they are categorized as a form of folklore yes which makes a ton of sense because as i was looking into this stuff it resonated so heavily with the episode we did on folklore yeah like so many different connections there like a a widely circulated and unauthenticated narrative unauthenticated jesus (laughs) narrative yeah. It's the lonesome headlight. Yeah. Um, of these rare and bizarre events that convey yes. warnings. Um, exactly. Cautionary tales, that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, but 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 stir these strong emotions in the people that that hear them. Uh, and they're usually they're heard. They're not 
I mean, it's yeah, the, the oral tradition. Yeah. yeah. Oral um, so go ahead. Go ahead. What I think is so fascinating about them, and I we were talking a little bit about this, and they're told, because they're told in that oral tradition, they're oftentimes told as if this were true. Mm-hmm. Or, and a lot of time, the teller of the story will either say, well, this happened to a friend of mine. Yes. Or this happened to... Uh, an acquaintance of yeah, a friend of a friend of a friend of my right <laughs> and when I was doing some like research as to why that even is like why why do we tell these stories mm-hmm. in this very specific way we never say <laughs> I experienced this no or you know like stranger experienced this it's always somehow relative yeah um I found this so cool it distances the teller themselves so they're not implicated. Yes. Right? They don't have to answer for anything in this story. However, it's kind of close because it happened to a friend or it happened to a friend of a friend. Is that, uh, what is that, the phrase, po- deniability? P- plausible. Yes. Yeah, plausible deniability. Exactly. It like authenticates it to a certain degree, but then yeah. it also distances it to a well, certain Well, that's degree. so funny too because these these stories just go on and on and on to the to the they get to the, they're to this point where people believe that there is actually factual information buried in these tales. Yes. And, and in some cases, I'm sure there is. Oh, sure. But um, they've just kind of been woven into the fabric of society and we can debunk them over and over and over and over, but it doesn't matter. They, doesn't ma- matter. they survive. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And what's so interesting about that is I think that the way they're shared too kind of lends itself into that issue of it's hard to verify and even when we debunk them people can say oh well maybe that particular set of events didn't happen but it did like these things surrounding it did yeah it's very hard to pinpoint origins with this (laughs) right so i it's just very interesting (laughs) if you study it as kind of a a genre or like yeah part of its own literary canon um but what i think was really cool about um, urban legends is that very similarly to when we talked about folk tales and specifically fairy tales with the Brothers Grimm, there mm-hmm. are a lot of cross connections between yeah. the two. But you can trace these things back thousands of years, almost to you know the dawn of humanity. Sure, sure. We were sharing these types of stories with one another because, as you said, they're cautionary tales. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they have a they have a purpose in society, um, but but they 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 span time. And I think also similarly to folk tales and fairy tales is that they're very region dependent, sure. and so they really capture cultural belief. They mm-hmm. really capture certain attitudes or situations mm-hmm. that are go- going on during a specific time. Yeah. Um, just like fairy tales did. So I yeah. think that that was really interesting to see. And there is also an entire kind of line of study around them because <laughs> of that. Yeah. Because you can study urban legends and see, okay, this is why this was happening. Like, yeah this particular historical event was going on <laughs> sure. or yeah so it was just super cool to read a little bit about that with that one of the things that i would like to talk with you about endemic is like why do certain urban legends have that staying power and then certain urban legends kind of die essentially 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure it has something to do with the uh, hum- humans' innate fears. Yes. The ones that scare us the most stick around. They do. And I feel like the ones that are most successful are the ones that are just broad enough that they are mm-hmm. fears that span time. <laughs> yeah, Where absolutely. It, whereas if they're too tied to a historical event, then it's kind then, of like... Yeah, well, it would wear off eventually. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's kind of the, the defining line between the two mm-hmm. is if you can make them a little bit broader, mm-hmm. they're going to... You're going to be able to relate them to any one specific situation. Well, here are two things that I think are timeless from when they were invented, Coca-Cola and Pop Rocks. And oh, yeah. I don't know, I don't know if you heard this particular one, but I was talking to some people over the weekend who were who were younger than me that had um Mikey, the kid from the Life Cereal. Give it to Mikey, he'll yeah. eat anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The urban legend always was he ate Pop Rocks and then drank a Coke and then it exploded his stomach and he died. Oh my gosh. So Isn't there a similar one with, I don't know if it it might be Coca-Cola too, but something with Mentos? Well, there's the thing where you put the Mento, oh, if you like swallow the Mentos. Oh, yeah, because if you stick them in the the two liter, it explodes. Yeah. So there was like a similar thing with that. I don't know. Yeah. I just remember that, oh, man. And back in... Back when I heard that, that would have been in the mid early eighties. Right. Um, we didn't have internet. We just basically had word of mouth on this kind of stuff. Right. Um, so the information. Oh my God, Mikey died. Yeah. And that stuck with me, and I still remember that one. Oh, and that's I'm still funny. not entirely sure that that, that dude isn't dead. Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> unverified. Totally unverified. Is that dude dead? <laughs> Is he or dead? Not sure. I never bothered to look. You know that is interesting because. You just saying that right now makes me think of the other legend of if you swallow a watermelon seed, you're going to grow watermelon in your belly. I mean, yeah. And like, if you think about it, both of those types of legends, they feed on that fear of getting ill Uh or like foodborne disease and things like that like yeah. ingesting something bad for you in some sort of yeah. way yeah like, there are actually quite a few urban legends that revolve around <laughs> eating gross <laughs> shit or something gross happening to you uh-huh. after you eat yeah very weird very very interesting. i mean no one wants to explode no one wants to explode especially <laughs> after you've had some delicious pop rocks <laughs> And a Coca-Cola. Oh, man. I mean, come on. I wonder who started that one, though. I mean, that that one uh, that one in part defined the urban legends of my childhood. I know. That's funny. Poor Mikey. Poor Mikey. Hope you're out there, Mikey. Yeah. Hope you didn't explode. I, let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> All right. We digress. I totally digressed you know. on that one. So, urban legend. How did we come to the term urban legend? Yeah. So, you found out some stuff. I I'm did curious to know. So it actually, that term was first discovered in 1968. It was first written down, I guess you would say. So it's the first time these types of tales, because these types of tales, like I said, been around forever, but it's the first time someone actually called them something. Gave them a name. Yeah. So it was Urban Legend. 1968 was the first time it's been like found, written down somewhere, but it became popularized as a term in 1981, so a little time after. And it was popularized by a professor by the name of Jan Harold Brunvand. Okay. Um, and <laughs> this professor, he wrote a... Cl- he Well, I, he didn't 
he wrote probably some of it, but he co- had a collection of <laughs> urban legends. Okay. Right? Uh, it was called The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings. Oh. And so he kind of goes into this really interesting, and he's pretty well known. I know mm-hmm. he kept coming up in my research, but basically his life's work in this book included in that was he wanted to demonstrate that urban legends weren't just things that folks outside of modern society told. Like, they were pervasive throughout society. That was number one, what he wanted to accomplish. Number two... Interesting that it was thought that it was just on the fringes. And and that's so similar to, remember, we were talking about fairy tales. They always thought that those were traditions of the folk. Yeah. It's the same with urban legends. They okay, always thought, you're oh, right. Yeah. These, you know, se- these settings that aren't in the the big modern urban city, they have these little, you know, yeah. superstitions or whatever. Right. The little folk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow, it's the same. It's oh. the same exact thing. And so this professor was wanted to demonstrate no, actually urban mm-hmm. legends exist throughout the entire fabric of our society. So that was the first thing you wanted to accomplish. The second thing uh, was that you could really study these things as a canon in literature and you could find out, like we were talking about, what was going on in society at the time. They could be kind of their own case study of history, sure, essentially. Sure. So those were the two things he wanted to accomplish with his work. As you take a look at these things as an actual, okay, let's examine them as a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of tropes actually do pop out from them. So the first thing that I thought was super cool is that in a lot of these stories, you have a mixture of natural reality occurrences and then some supernatural elements. Okay, sure. That makes sense. And they do ne- they never stray too far outside of... The natural realm. There are mm-hmm. only one or two things that seem kind of off. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, scholars say, they want you to stay grounded in reality. They want you to really believe, oh, this really could have happened. Yeah. If they went too far into the supernatural, you might it would spark start the to disbelief. Question. Yeah. Exactly. So now, if we stay more grounded in reality or what we perceive as yeah. reality, then they're more likely to catch on. So the suspension of disbelief can be upheld. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, what I thought was really cool is that you had a bunch of folks who are really well-versed in psychology. And apparently this is just kind of like a human evolution Mm -hmm. type thing of how our brains work. But if you put a couple things in there that are off, we're more likely to remember it. Really? Yeah. So that's why, you know, some of the tales that are about everyday life, yeah, they might not be as well known or might not be as prevalent. But the ones that have just a couple weird little elements in them, they're, they're like, everyone knows about them. Every, you know, they're widely shared. So that apparently is something in our brain will start, they'll pique its curiosity <laughs> and it'll be like, okay, sure. I, I want to remember this. Maybe it's the, oh my God, what if that really, what if that really could happen yeah. to me? If they can exactly. relate it back to me. Yep. Then it's like, okay. Then it'll stick. I better, I better stay aware of this. Yeah. And the other interesting thing on that same line of thought is if there are too many weird elements it's forget you you'll forget then it's it. just a some sort of sci-fi yeah, story it's like or, i can't yeah. it's not that's not relatable i can't yeah i can't deal with that so 
Um, and then, so the, the this uh, article that I read, uh, and I'll have all these articles listed up on our show notes, so definitely take a look. But it started kind of listing off all of the things. And it, it listed off things other than urban legends. There mm-hmm. are some fairy tales on the list as well about, if you think about it, they're all grounded in reality, all relatable with a couple supernatural or just strange things. Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Very natural to go see your grandma. Yeah. The only unnatural thing is there's a talking wolf. Yeah. But everyone knows the story of Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. Uh, Hansel and Gretel. They could have gone out in the woods. They yeah. could have been really hungry. The only weird thing is the witch wanted to eat yeah. them. Uh, Bloody Mary. Oh. I mean... You go. You have to go into your bathroom. Teenagers do silly things all the time. The only supernatural that element, dare is. element, that mm-hmm. element of dare. Yeah. Do, do I summon this thing? Yeah. So it's like there's always super real circumstances with just one or two little supernatural I things. For the Bloody Mary too, because. I'd go into my bathroom and I'd be like, oh my God, what if I just think it? Don't look at the mirror. I did the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I hope this can't happen if I think it. Yeah. yeah. As long yeah. as I don't say it out loud, don't look at, just, yeah. In and out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's what if so I do it accidentally? Yeah. It's one of those things I could do accidentally. Yeah. Like how could you even do that accidentally? <laughs> what are you even talking about? Yeah. No. So I thought that was super interesting that they do all have well not all of them but mm-hmm. so many of the memorable ones do have that one or two strange little things going on in them um so then the other thing psychologically that they do so if you've ever noticed about an urban legend obviously there are differences in like you might hear the same urban legend and if it's told from different regions it might come out a little differently Mm -hmm. depending on what's important Mm -hmm. in that region right like maybe you know the type of car they drove was different or the you know yeah the setting was a little different but that's the same gist of the story right well the one thing that all of them do is there's just enough detail to give the reader a good picture of what's going on but there's never too much detail so you could you fill in all the gory stuff yourself yeah and that it seems to be the psychological technique where you can envision yourself, mm-hmm. but you have to fill in the <laughs> gaps. You make it relatable to you. Yeah. Sometimes what you can do in your own mind is way scarier than way what anyone scarier. can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think that's that why it's better too. when you don't see the killer. I'm just saying. Oh, fair. I'm just saying. That's fair. I'm just saying. That's fair. I, I think that also makes it resonate. With listeners mm-hmm. more, I would argue, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you have to make a portion of the story up yourself, and especially if it's done in a way where you're not realizing you're doing that, yeah. right? You're yeah. not realizing you're making that detail up. If it's just happening in your brain, <laughs> then obviously it's going to resonate with you more because you created it. Mm-hmm. Or you're in it, you created an element of yeah. it at least. So I think that's a really interesting technique. And then that maybe happens. that's where the the friend of a friend thing comes in you've made it real enough in your head where you can tell it again exactly Uh, yeah exactly you take everyone who hears it takes a bit of ownership for it because they do fill in those gaps themselves that's how it survives exactly that's how it survives and also i think that's how you get your own little variations because another function of the urban legend it's not so many of them are cautionary tales we've been talking about but some of them 
really exist to just kind of reinforce <laughs> worldviews or commonly yeah, okay. held beliefs yeah. or things like that. And so if you are constructing a part of the narrative, of course it's going to be something you already think. You know? Yeah. It, it, of course it's going to be that. It's That's not, exactly right. It's not going to challenge your beliefs no. in any way. <laughs> so that, and then that, <laughs> yeah. you reiterate that story to someone else, mm-hmm. who reiterates it to someone else, and then that's how these things kind of spiral. Yeah. It's very, they're very interesting. And kind of on that same uh, line of thought, I read this really cool article um, with a scholar. Actually, it wasn't an article. It was a, it was a interview with this, uh, she's an Estonian scholar on mm. this thing. Okay. Uh, on this subject, and her name is Etta Kalmray. Uh, and essentially, she was talking about that very topic about how we construct these narratives and then we kind of uh, tell them over and over and over again to, to people around us. And she related it back to kind of modern society and this new phenomenon and issue really we're facing as a society about how false narratives can be disseminated on social media, online, and these things that can be easily debunked, as you were talking about earlier, people start to believe them or they believe elements of them, even though they're completely and totally false or completely and totally not true. Yeah. It's very hard to get catch them once they start rolling a little bit. (laughs) And she was kind of relating this to how urban legends function. And her kind of argument was... This is exactly why we have to continue studying these types of stories, continue studying how stories are shared, because if we can understand what's at the root of that story, what belief, what Mm -hmm. worldview, what's going on in society that's making people believe this certain thing or what kind of things have to be happening in a person's life for them to get to the point where they believe in that sort of thing. If yeah. we if we can understand that and then we can understand how those stories are disseminated and it, sure then maybe we can start combating some of these false narratives and, and things like that in, in a more effective sort of way other than just saying, no, that's wrong. Yeah. Because that usually is not very helpful. <laughs> so I just thought how interesting that uh, – a urban legend scholar is at the forefront of trying to figure out how to combat false digital literacy narratives. I was like, what? That's amazing, though. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. Wow. So cool. That could diffuse a lot of bullshit. A lot of bullshit. We could figure that out. A lot of bullshit. And I think, too, it also helps because it's so, I don't know about you, but for me, I get so enraged when I see that kind of completely false lie on online and I just get so mad. Mm -hmm. Like, how could someone believe this? Or, you know, you just get so kind of. Because it reinforces a belief they already have. It reinforces a belief they already have. But then if you think about it from that kind of context of, well, these sorts of stories have been around for since the dawn of mm-hmm. humankind and now the only difference is they're more easily shared mm-hmm. i mean then it becomes a little bit like oh yeah this is just the urban legend for the new age right my god i guess yeah but this one this one feels destructive this one is well i think i, mean, I think there are some 
very uh, ill intent. Ill, there are some ill-intentioned players at the heart Absolutely. of it. And they're preying on yeah. just f- regular folks. Yeah. Because anyone can get swept up in mm-hmm. urban legends, right? Any, That's I exactly mean, right. anyone can. So, they, But I think it is at the heart, some oh, ill-intentioned wow. folks. But I just thought that was an that interesting That is some food connection. for thought. That Yeah, that is an interesting connection. Yeah. Um, a couple other things uh, that I found, they also often involve grotesque elements so if you think about a lot of urban legends there's something like really gross or gory Mm -hmm. or just an element of it maybe it might not be like the whole story but something might happen and that's another thing it's either a shock value thing where Mm -hmm. it's like i gotta see what happens here (laughs) or it's a uh that part of our brain again is wired to oh my gosh, I have to remember all the details of this so this doesn't happen to me. Well, what just came to mind immediately was uh, the babysitter with the kids upstairs and have you checked the children? Yes. And that that's bad enough in itself. But yes. then um, you find out, well, the one when she goes back to bed. Uh, is she in the house alone on that one? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, you find out that the killer's been licking her hand. Absolutely, yeah. That's Horrible. the grotesque that's element. That's the dog one. That is. That's right. That's the dog. The one. dog one. Yeah. So really, uh, when I went down the kind of psychological rabbit hole about how they function, I found that there are really two ways that we use urban legends. One as kind of a social tale, so how to relate to other groups or other people and mm-hmm. build relationships, or a cautionary tale, as you said, some mm-hmm. sort of survival tale. So yeah. social and survival were the two words that kept coming up over okay. and over again. Um, and it seems like, particularly with the survival portion of it, those ones are often shared widely because they are seen as, oh, I have to warn other mm-hmm. people yeah, sure. about how to survive this scenario or about what to watch out for or something like that. And what I thought was really interesting was one possible reason that we do that just as human beings is we want to be seen as reliable. So it mm. kind of ties to the social in that we yeah. we want to build our circle wide enough that we are seen as reliable. So in order to do this, we tell these cautionary tales <laughs> so that we're seen as a beacon of information. Yeah. We're, like, we're just animals. Oh, we are. And... Studying us is very interesting, <laughs> I have to say. I was not a psychologist. I didn't even take a psychology class. I'm yeah. Starting, but I find it very fascinating, like how the human brain works yeah. and how we function and how like we've built these complex societies. But really, if you look at it, it's for very base reasons usually. Yeah. Just want to be accepted. And can be used for good, for entertainment, but also for unsavory, unscrupulous. Yes, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. So... That's one way they function. So you have those two camps, the social and the survival. And the ones that really take off are usually ones that combine the two, right? Because those are our two base in- instincts is grow our, grow our circle. Yeah. And then survive. Yes. <laughs> and so... <laughs> you have to grow your circle to survive. You have to grow your circle to survive. That's what we found. And so 
if you can combine those two elements, then you usually have a tail that will mm-hmm. survive and grow and and kind of prosper in society. Um, so I wanted to give a shout out. I know we both did research on our own tales that kind of stuck with us, but I wanted to give a shout out because these were actually some tales that came up um, a couple times that functioned in these two ways, but then also had some sort of basis in reality. So I, okay. thought, I thought that that was kind of cool. So um, tell me if you've heard of any of these. So the first one was called The Death Car. Give me a little more. Okay. So The Death Car, it's, it's basically a story about there's a car and it's being sold. It's an awesome car. And it's being sold at a super cheap price. No one knows why. And every owner that gets it has to return it almost immediately. It smells. Yes, I know that one. Yeah. And that one actually might be based in reality. Uh, It's been tied back to a couple different Hmm. um, cases. One in Michigan, I believe, um, where a gentleman uh, died by suicide in a car and then it was sold and then the smell kind of pervaded and and, and that's a thing. Um, So I thought that was really interesting. Okay, yeah. Uh, the solid cement Cadillac. I'd never heard of that one. This one, uh, (laughs) this one's kind of not funny, but kind of funny. A man comes home to find strange car in his driveway and he knows it must be the car of the lover of his wife who she's seeing behind his back. So Mm -hmm. he fills it with cement. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What a, what an overreaction. (laughs) I don't know about that. Just I feel like that was an underreaction an if under-reaction. that's what was going on. Well, I just love that there were a lot of assumptions <laughs> made about like what if it what like what if that was not I think like one of the cuz obviously these all have various endings but one of the one of them was like she bought him a new car for his birthday or whatever and he just accidentally he just filled, filled his own with car cement. with cement. So I'm like at least find out if that's really what's happening or you just like ruined your your own vehicle there <laughs> sir i don't get it that's a good one uh and then oh, i know you know this one the hook but the did you know that that has some basis in in possible the hook hook the, the hook. hook yeah oh there's oh. some basis in reality to that one. to the hook yeah do and tell for those of you who don't know the hook that's the one where there's a serial killer on the loose mm-hmm. and he has a hook for a hand and uh he's attacking a couple on lover's lane or, you know, usually yeah. somewhere off in the mm-hmm. in the forest. Um, they think that that one was actually based on the Texarkana murders in the 1940s. Oh, is that the town that dreaded sundown? Because mm-hmm, they couldn't figure, and uh, these people started getting murdered like yeah, in lover's yeah, lane. Yeah, right. Situations. Okay, yes, yeah. right. Yeah, so that's what they believe started that whole urban legend well that makes sense that makes sense right when you think about it yeah yeah and then cautionary tales for people to keep their teenagers from doing Mm -hmm. naughty things correct and then this last one i think i had no idea this even happened this one definitely has basis in reality but it was the proctor and gamble satanism (laughs) I don't know. I don't know that I know that one. It was weird when I looked it up. So uh, essentially, Procter and Gamble had this logo, or I, I don't even know if they would have considered it a logo. Some art associated with them. Oh, what is happening? 
<gasps> oh no, everybody. There is a logistical issue with the Pazoos. The glow ball has gotten lodged in the Pilsner glass and now the bottom of the beer will not, <laughs> not come out. Damn it! <laughs> Should have thought that through. That was a great visual. You might get like little drips. Yeah, you should, you should like poke it. That Oh no, and now the ball. It, oh, oh man. it's lodged. It's Damn lo- it. That's a, well, I'm glad. I'm not that glad this happened to you, but I'm glad it didn't happen to me. So I know to to hold on to it. Hold on to the glow ball. Hold on to hold, the glow ball. Hold on to your glow balls. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Shit. Shit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Procter and Gamble. Gamble. They had this logo or some sort of art associated with them. Essentially, it was like a man in the moon staring off at like 13 stars or something like that. Okay. And... Someone got a hold of this thing and was like, this This is Satanism. And essentially, it happened in the 1980s. So it was all around the time of the Satanic Panic. And they basically said that, and you, I mean, you could do this literally with anything, mm-hmm. but they found a way to draw lines within it that came out to 666. Of course they did. Literally, you could do that in anything. <laughs> so like, what the hell? What in the actual hell? <laughs> but unfortunately, um, Procter and Gamble went, went through like a bunch of hell for this. Like, had to yeah. rebrand and eventually had to get rid of that logo and like spent all this money. I mean, they're a huge corporation. Yeah. But, but still, like, what the hell? Well, I mean, that just puts to mind all the urban legends around what goes on on a dollar bill and the Illuminati yeah. and all of that. And- I mean, you can see anything you want to see in that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, and it, I, I remember one from uh, high school when I think it was high school, maybe whenever Snapple came on the scene, mm-hmm. that there was something on a Snapple label that endorsed the KKK or something like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Wow. But I remember that one too. Wow. One last fun fact before we dive into our own urban legends, because this was like new territory to me. But did you know there is an International Society for Contemporary Legend Research? I did not know that. That is a thing. A ba- basically, it is a group of, interna- it's an international group, but it's a group of scholars who study urban legends and legends and all that sort of thing uh, and in modern society. And they come together, they have a conference, mm-hmm. and they also have a newsletter and a journal they put out every year. And so I did a little investigation on their website, and the latest stuff I could find was from 2016, so I don't know how active they are anymore. But at the time, that's where I found that uh, interview with that Estonian legend uh, scholar. And they had a lot of just really cool information about legends, what different types of legends exist across the world, uh, how they function. And it's just really cool. And apparently they're pretty active on social media and things like that. And they encourage not only scholars to participate, but also just people that are enthusiasts. So that's really cool. Yeah, I think that I they are all of their uh, archived newsletters are available on their website. So I think I'm going to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's it was super fun and just kind of fun because they mentioned a couple legends that, you know, you wouldn't otherwise hear of probably. Yeah, uh, I like that. Yeah. And they're from around the world because it's an international mm-hmm. organization and it's just really cool. Get urban legends from all over. That's mm-hmm. that's really cool. Exactly. Exactly. So I wanted to give that a shout out. 
because if you're interested in this type of thing, that is one really cool resource that I would point you to. But we've exhausted kind of what an <laughs> urban legend is. And I think it's about time we got to talk about some of Let's the, just talk about some. Some that resonate. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. I just sort of started looking around and I wanted to... I wanted to just mention a few. I'm just giving teasers. I'm not going to go down, you know, I'm not going to give verbose explanations of what these things are because I want you guys to look them up and and find them yourselves, yeah. I guess. But I wanted to talk about ones that I had never heard of. Mm, yes. Um, and they could be some that you've heard of. I mean, it's that thing where uh, they're, they're regionalized. So some of these right. might be super popular in some place, but not here. So I don't know it. Right. Um, but anyway, so... Um, I found I found several. Um, one in particular, the thirteenth child. Do you know about the thirteenth child? I have never heard of the thirteenth child. This one apparently stems all the way back to seventeen thirty-five. Okay. Um, and a woman who lived in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. Okay. Um, she cursed the birth of her thirteenth child. Now that I'm reading this again, I think I remember reading this whole story at some point, but it doesn't matter. And so this 13th child was born a freak of nature, basically had bat wings and cloven hooves and was just like a little, a little creature that actually started terrorizing. Is this um, the birth of the Jersey might Devil? Might be the Jersey Devil. Yeah, yeah. That sounds so similar. Um, damn. Yeah. So, but sightings apparently became so widespread that here the rumor was that the Philadelphia Zoo posted a $10,000 reward um, for the capture of, of the thirteenth of the thirteenth child, or the Jersey. I, I think that is the Jersey Devil. It has to be right. I mean, there's a lot the of pine barrens and all of that. The yeah, I think that's and then right. The bat wings. Yeah, for the wow. But the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Zoo, Zoo really was involved. It. Yeah, it's like this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Philadelphia Zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of went down a rabbit hole of ones that I found that were common in my childhood uh ones I grew up with I guess I I would say uh and and kind of one of the more loose ones uh was something called five points so I grew up I think I've shared this before but I grew up in uh northern northeastern Ohio uh and in kind of the Youngstown Ohio area for people familiar with Ohio um, and there are lots, there's lots of lore up there, but one of the things that was really popular amongst the teenage crowd in that area, uh, the area I grew up in was something called Five Points. And it was in this little kind of rural area called Hartford. Okay. And, um, essentially we would, and I, I have done this several times, I admit, we would drive our cars out to Hartford. And there is a point out on this very rural road uh, where five roads meet at one intersection. Okay. And there's lots of spooky lore about, because that's kind of an unusual traffic pattern. Uh, Yeah. So there's lots of spooky lore about what goes on there. And some of the stuff that we thought was, um, there's one road where if you drive down it, there's a railroad track. And uh, the the legend is if you put your car there and you honk three times, a phantom train will come come 
down the track. A lonesome headlight, if you will. A lonesome headlight, yes. Uh, There's one road where there's like this bridge over the road. And the, uh, the idea is if you put your car in neutral underneath the bridge, little hands will come and push you out from underneath the bridge because a car accident occurred there where three uh, teens were killed. So they trying to help you get out from underneath the bridge. What? Yeah, yeah, supposedly. Did you do that one? We did all of them and nothing happened. Oh, shit. But some weird shit. I will I will tell you the weird shit. Yeah, that I want to know the weird shit. There. And then there's also a road. It, the, the one road is like supremely uh, desolate. Like there's woods on either side of it. And the, the idea is like a car will come and play chicken with you on that More on lonesome that headlights. And then there are like... Just random spookiness, apparitions that people have seen, sure. sounds, you know, people yeah. have seen all sorts of stuff that go on out there. Um, but I will say when we went out there, I mean, we didn't see a phantom train. We didn't see, you know, uh, any apparitions or feel any ghosts pushing us from underneath bridges or anything like that. But what I will say is... Because it was really rural and some of the night, there, there was a lot of fog mm. that happened around the area. Mm-hmm. And there are like, and it might be locals being assholes. Because I mean, if I lived <laughs> out there and teens sure. were coming all the time, I mean, that would be a thing. But you would get some cars that would follow you and you'd get some cars that would like be kind of creepy, uh-huh. veer towards you and then veer away. And yeah. Just very strange shit that would go on out there. You were like, hmm, is it a good idea for a a carload of teenagers to be out here right now? Probably not. Probably not. But I mean, you do it anyway. (laughs) You do it anyway. anyway. You do it anyway. Um, But yeah, it was... I feel like a lot of hometowns have their areas like that. Mm -hmm. that, You know, teens gravitate to the the haunted house or, you know, know, whatever, whatever it may be. The cemetery but ours was five points. Five points. That mm-hmm. um, that reminds me of where I'm from. South. I'm from Southeast Ohio, and not all that far from Egypt Valley, which is very near St. Clairsville, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing stuff all the time about Egypt Valley. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, about devil worship going on in there. Oh yes, and lots of haunted things. But that if you would drive down some of the roads, because it's pretty desolate in some of the spots out there. That people would come out of the woods and bang on your car. Oh, god! Yeah, like naked people and, you know, just crazy stuff. Now, you know, maybe, who knows? Maybe it did happen, but um, I, I never, I never did the Egypt Valley thing. I kind of wish I would have. Maybe we should take a trip. But they're probably all old farts by now. You, just you know. Just come out and smack your car and yeah. fall down or something. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, down. I digress. But but just speaking of those hometown things, another one, um, when I was in grad school, I was in grad school up in Bowling Green, and mm-hmm. um, Jay, actually, who's who's our yeah. poet, yeah. Uh, he and I and some friends would would just go hunting haunted things or just, go, just to go be scared somewhere. But there was an urban legend of, and I don't even remember what road it was or where we were, but Chalky. And... There's a chalk outline of a kid in the road. Okay. And who a kid who apparently got hit by a car. And the outline never disappears. Or somebody comes and redraws it and keeps yeah. it redrawn. Like a parent maybe or 
or something. We're not we're not quite sure what what the real story is, but it's there, and we saw it. Um, what? Yeah, we saw, it, it. we saw we saw Chalky visual evidence, visual evidence of Chalky, but before the days of cell phones, so right. obviously no. Um, I wonder if Chalky's still there. Uh, and then there was another one we did that same night where there was a house, and I don't even, I honestly don't even know where this was, but it was out in stick somewhere that if you pulled in the driveway in front of the house um, and turned off your lights, that the people inside the house would sneak around the sides of the property. Stop it. And then come and like bang on your bang car on your in car. the driveway yeah. and to get you to leave. We pulled in the driveway and then I said, get the fuck out of here. Right. What are we doing? Right. You're like, we're in someone's driveway. And we were in, we were in my dad's 560 year old Volvo. So it's not going to so get away no. very quick. And the, the sunroof I, it was broken open. So, I mean, there was a way into the car. So I'm like, we're getting the fuck out oh, of yeah, here. Oh yeah, no, you can't do that. This is, this is stupid. You can't do that. Yeah. So anyway, just, you know, those, those kinds of stories where you put yourself in a little bit of danger and, you know, for the thrill of it, I guess. Right. I don't know. But. Um, you talked about the hometown one, so I thought I would mention those. Yeah. Uh, now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have a couple more? Oh, my God. I got 100 more. You do. 150 more, 150 maybe. More. So we already talked about Bloody Mary, so I'm going to leave her alone this time. There are tons of Gates of Hell story stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only mentioned that. there was There's one. It's called the Seven Gates of Hell. And it was in the um, uh, an asylum in Pennsylvania that burned. And apparently there are seven gates there. And if you pass through all seven, uh, you go straight to hell immediately. Oh, God. Um, but I would like to report that here in Columbus, Ohio, she got she got the lonesome headlight out of her beverage. I wouldn't have been able to drink the beverage. <laughs> we found this. We did an experiment. You're right. Um, here in Columbus, under High Street in Clintonville, there is a gates of hell. Oh, I didn't uh, know By that. Lucky's Market. If you go down behind, there's uh, like a, a sewer thing that goes under the under High Street, under the road, mm-hmm. and it's got crazy paintings and shit, like graffiti and stuff down there. It's, oh, it's yeah. kind of beautiful, actually. Yeah. But those are said to be some of the gates of hell. Huh. I'm just saying. Um, here's one I thought of, uh, Quintonymous. Yes. Uh, Polybius. Um, apparently, this is something that vintage video gamers um, have been talking about for years. Um, since the early 80s, really. And the game's called Polybius, and it, it's supposed to have lethal effects on people who play it. Um, it can prompt feelings of disorientation. It can even give you suicidal thoughts. Um, men would occasionally... Uh, here, here's where the, the... ooh, Apparently, strange men would visit the arcades where Polybius... Was, you know, it was like one of those stand-up arcade games. Oh, it was, okay, it was a game. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, it was like okay. a stand-up arcade game. Sorry, I should have said okay. that first. And it it would appear that they were collecting data from it in some way. So, and then they would vanish. So people thought that Polybius was maybe some sort of CIA or FBI experiment. Yeah, oh. I, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll never know. How weird is that? Yeah. Some sort of mind experiment. Mind experiment. Yeah. Wow. We'll have to ask Q if he knows about that. Yeah. Have you ever, well, um, he's not a big arcade game, but he probably has well, heard of it true. in a circle. I would say. Right. He's, he's big into that. Here's one that um, terrifies me to my very core. And it may even come from something real because there is 
a bot fly that will do this sort of sort of thing to you. Um, the spider bite. Do you know the spider bite? Uh, I might, but I want to hear it from you. Um, so here's here's one version of it. A woman goes to a foreign country and returns home and has a big old pimple on her face. I feel like I have yeah. heard this year. And she can't get rid of it. She tries to pop it, but it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one night, it pops, and hundreds of baby spiders emerge from her face. And there's that grotesque element. There yeah. it is. Well, Loud and, and clear. And it, they actually portrayed this in a movie, and I believe the movie was The Believers. And the zit was on on her cheek. So the spiders are, the hundreds of spiders are just in your cheek, mm. which makes it even worse somehow than like on like a butt cheek or something. It's like so close to your mouth. <clears throat> yeah. But they're, like that. they're technically in your mouth because they're in your cheek. In your cheek. Mm. They're near, very, yeah, ew, just gross. Mm. But anyway, so that one, um, but bot flies do that. They lay their eggs inside you and then they can hatch out. Oh, so maybe, yeah. who knows, maybe it comes from that. Uh so I just had a couple, I mean, I don't want to go on and on, but I just did have a couple um, that I found from Columbus that I thought were kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the Legend of Walhalla Drive. Yeah. Um, this road has all the ingredients of a great urban legend. It's isolated down a ravine, but also in the middle, well, just like the north middle of a city. So you're surrounded yeah. by civilization. Yep. But you can be completely isolated on this road. Yep. Um, there's rumors of murder and violence that happen here. So, um, li- like I said, it, the, the geography is unique to this this place. Uh, it winds around, but then it, it cuts off and then it picks up another. Mm-hmm. It, it's just kind of weird. Um, apparently, passersby can be haunted by a man who killed his wife and children before committing suicide underneath uh, the road's bridge. The bridge it goes mm-hmm. over. So... Here's the most popular story. We'll just mm-hmm. go with this most popular story. Yes. Is a man kills his wife and then hangs himself from the bridge. And if you go at the right time of night, you can see the man hanging by a noose from the bridge. Um, and Mooney's mansion is on this road. And Mooney is typically the name, uh, when this story, probably, I would say probably in this area, mm-hmm. um, the name of the the husband, the, the last name, the surname is Mooney that is given okay. to the to the family. Okay. Um. And the up at this mansion is where this murder was supposedly supposedly happened. Um, and there's a new story that that came along a little later, and there must have been a rash of these. The the knock on the door, uh, uh, urban legends where you know you go up and knock on the door and some crazy shit happens. Well, this one is yeah. if you go up to the to the mansion yeah. and knock on the door, rumor is you'll hear the woman's or the wife's head bouncing down the stairs. Oh my gosh! And then in some cases. No, thank it you. Bound, the door opens and the head rolls out the front door. No, thank you. Yeah. So, no, thank you. No. Um, no. So this husband and wife, they lived on the road in the 50s. Um, and he loses his shit and chops up his wife. Um, then to hide the crime, he buries her in the front yard. Great. Uh, so neighbors got concerned, obviously, when they hadn't seen her in a few days. Or when they saw him so, digging in the yeah, front of the I mean, yard. Yeah. What the hell? So eventually, you know, the husband is arrested and executed. Um, and it wasn't long after that that they started to see that the neighbors started to see some dark figure pacing in the attic. Oh God! Um, there's another one also. I mean, these are just all these things born from 
who knows what who knows what uh i will say don't knock on a door uh if you don't want it to be answered i mean really bad don't knock bad decision sorry no you're right uh i like this one the best that there is apparently um a statue in the garden that was a gift for he he bought it for his wife um and it wasn't taken after the murders happened so it's still there Mm-hmm. and it has blood stains on it that never go away oh, all no. over it where she was murdered. Oh, no. So they just appear. Yeah, I, I like that one. Um, and then there's another one that the, the, he also killed the, the family dog, and the dog roams now, the property. Come the I, I'm telling you. fuck on. Yeah. Leave the dog alone. No, they no. never do. Um, so anyway, I thought, I, I don't know if that made sense at all in the way I described that, but a lot no, of shit goes down on that road. Yeah. Or seemingly goes down that, on that road. That was way more haunted than I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been down that road a couple times. I've never seen the mansion, though. I feel like I miss the entrance to the road where the mansion actually sits, which is why I always come like halfway because it's a one way. So yeah. I always enter it from a certain area where I'd never quite see the mansion. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize there was so much there. I just thought it was creepy mansion. But apparently there's a lot more going yeah. on there than just yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, these stories, God, they get legs. Yes. But here's a prime example. I've lived here how many years, and I've never heard the, those stories. Yeah. I didn't know any of those. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I've got just a couple more here. The Circleville Letter Writer. Mm, I've heard this one. You yeah. have? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Small town, Circleville, famous for the pumpkin show. Mm-hmm. Gotta love that. Gotta love that. Um, Well, the people there at, at one point started to experience some really crazy shit. Uh. Thousands of people got personal, mysterious letters about their lives. Yeah. And the letters were written in block style. Yep. Um, and so you couldn't really pinpoint the handwriting. Yep. And they contained really violent stuff. Yep. And one of the letter recipients' husband was actually murdered. murdered. And they believe that it had to do with this, uh, with these letters. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. After the, they had a suspect and the suspect was arrested. But the letters continued. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we're talking city officials, average citizens. It just seemed kind of random. Right. Um, and, and this happened all the way up until the 90s. Yeah. So fucking long. Yeah. And the writer was never discovered. Never discovered. Yeah. It is a wild story. And you know who uh, I would definitely recommend if that at all piques your interest. The uh, podcast My Favorite Murder. Oh. They go into the Circleville Letter Writer in one of their episodes pretty heavily. In fact, they did it for a live show when they were here in Columbus and I was in attendance. So nice. I can say firsthand it's pretty good. <laughs> cool. Uh, highly recommend watching that. I don't I don't I really don't know which episode. It's the live show from Columbus. So if you can yeah. find that, that's I'm going to check featured. that out. Yeah, it's really intense. Wow. Good Lord. That was an intense situation. Crazy. Crazy. Okay, so one last one I'll talk about. Um, Rogue's Hollow. Okay. Do you know Rogue's Hollow? I've never heard of Rogue's Hollow. So Ohio's Hollow. very own Sleepy Hollow. What? Yeah. Uh, it's got a crybaby bridge. Okay. It's got uh, a shuddering graveyard. Like it shakes. So this is a town? Rogue's Hollow is? Well, we'll get to that. Okay, okay, okay. And it's got a headless horseman. Wow. Um, it was a thriving coal town. Uh, okay. we Ohio had a ton of those. Okay. Um, but it was also a notorious outlaw hideout. Mm. 
Uh, lots of mayhem happened in this town and all the way up through the early 20th century, actually. Um, and this, you know, perfect recipe again for urban legends to take hold. Absolutely. Um, if you if you go into this area, and I'll tell you where it is here in a minute, uh, you can hear crying babies. Um, if you go into the cemetery, apparently some of the ground is really shaky under your feet. That is. I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, there were some stories, some self-published stories um, about the history of the area by a Russell Frey or Fry. Um, he says the ghosts are best seen in the moonlight. Okay. Uh, when the clouds are puffy. Okay. Yeah. That's a fun detail. Yeah. This is where the spirits, that's when they come to visit. Um, but here's, here's the more likely thing. I think, and I, I feel like I might believe this, that a lot of these stories were made up to keep people the hell out Away. of this place. <laughs> Get the hell out. Because it was a corrupt little dangerous place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, to people who cared about other people, oh, my God, don't go in there. There's a headless horseman. Right. Um, if you visit the Chidester Mill Museum okay, and the Chippewa Rogues Hollow Historical Society, uh-huh. um, there is a little loop of Rogues Hollow, a little um, path, little hike you can do. It's just very little. Huh. Um, and you and I are going for sure. Yeah, it's near to. Doylestown, Ohio. Doylestown. Yeah. Um. But I just wanted to give you all uh, just Where, where's Doylestown? Is that near a big city at all, or uh, about a roundabout near a big city? Well, I don't know. I didn't look that part up. Damn okay. it, witch! I know. I always ask the weird questions. All right. Well, let me let me see. I'm We're gonna, gonna do a quick quick search where Doylestown do, do, is. Do, please hold. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. I like that hold music. That was do pretty it. good. <laughs> it uh, is a village in Ohio. It's a village. Uh, in Wayne County. Oh. Wayne County. 13 miles southwest of Akron. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Not so, far at all. No, and I just wanted to give you all Mm-mm. just a little taste of, of the stories from this place. Um, I did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole on it myself, so we are definitely going here. Oh, we have to. But um, but yeah, check these places out legally. Yeah. Legally, of course. Please do it legally. Of course. We don't want to ruin it for everybody by no. messing shit up. Right. Um, so yeah, Rogue's I Hollow. I love that. That's super fun. Um, I have one more from where I'm from. Oh, yes. Uh, this one is called Gore Orphanage. This, this, this has a lot of legs. So the legend. So the legend of Gore Orphanage is there is an orphanage named Gore Orphanage. Yeah. And one night a fire breaks out at the orphanage, and all the children run to the stairwell to get out of the out of the building. And the stairwell is completely consumed in flames. Oh, shit. And so they can't get out. And so they're screaming for help. And all of the onlookers outside, the fire is just spreading so fast and they can't get in. And Mm -hmm. they can't get to the children because the stairwell is completely engulfed. So they just have to kind of watch in horror as this building goes up in flames. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, slowly the children pass and the fire consumes the whole building. And it kind of as the story goes, was it an accident? You know, could someone have accidentally had a gas lamp or something like that? And it, you know, just accidentally caused the fire. Was it said intentionally Mm -hmm. from the horrible headmaster of the of the orphanage? No one knows. Right. So that's kind of the 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 lore behind it. And then 
uh, the spooky kind of supernatural element is if you go to the ruins of Gore Orphanage to this day, you can see everything from apparitions to the faint scent of flames and char to coming back to your car and little handprints on the back of your car. The, the black, like from black, from the soot. ash, from mm-hmm. soot. At and they're supposedly trying prints. to tell you, get out, get out, go, go, go. Uh, is this accessible yeah. legally? Uh, I, the you remains? know what? I, a lot of the information I got was from the municipal website from the town near it. So, oh. And they never said don't go. Oh. And you would think if it wasn't accessible, they would have been like, hey, don't come here. But it was like yeah. very much like, here's the story and people go see this and this is what oh. happens. Well, then we got to go there too. Yeah, might as well go, right? Wow. Yeah. So that's the legend. There's a lot of history to unpack here. Um, so this, so that, so this whole thing takes place in a town near a town. I don't think it's within the town limits, but it's like one of those situations where it's right outside of the city. Yeah. Uh, it's called Vermilion, Ohio. Oh yeah, I've heard of Vermilion. And that's in Northern Ohio. Uh, and there was an actual orphanage near where this is supposed to take place. Now it wasn't called Gore Orphanage. It was called Light of Hope. Okay. And it was located on Gore Road. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, I guess. Uh and and kind of the locals at, at the time called the orphanage Gore Road Orphanage. So you can kind of see where yeah, that yeah. might have yeah. might have happened in translation. So apparently Light of Hope was run by this religious zealot. His name is Reverend Johann Spruner. Um he comes in with his wife, Katharina. Uh, they moved to Vermilion from a town in Indiana called Bernie, Indiana, where they had an orphanage there, but uh, mysteriously that orphanage caught on fire and three children died. The, oh. Confirmed that happened. Wow, okay. Uh, also, oddly enough, he owned a couple more businesses in Indiana and they all caught on fire. What? Mm-hmm. And then he comes into uh, Ohio and runs Light of Hope. Um, so where the land that Light of Hope sat on, it was actually 543 acres. Wow. So pretty big. Yeah. And that land included, it had like four farm type buildings. And then it also included an abandoned mansion. Um, and the mansion itself, it was known as the Swift Mansion. And that was simply because it was built by a man named Joseph Swift. Um, and a few deaths occurred while Joseph lived there and he kind of fell into financial hard times while he lived there himself. Um, so it just kind of naturally became associated with bad luck. And so he wanted to get out and he sold it to a man named Nicholas Wilbur, who was a spiritualist. So Nicholas Wilbur moves him and his family in and starts regularly conducting seances. Oh, for God's sake. And starts saying that he speaks to the ghosts of children in this place. And now this is happening before the orphanage comes in. Okay, yeah. So he's saying he's speaking to the ghosts of children. And so you have to wonder, like, is there some, could he have conjured some weirdness up? Maybe. He's hosting seances here. Um, Eventually... Uh, he abandons the house. Uh, some deaths occurred. Not necessary. They can't confirm they uh, occurred on the property, but some locals believe they did. Okay. So, um, they they abandon the house in the early 1900s, and then Spruner kind of comes on and and takes over the land. They don't really use 
the orphanage that I could find didn't really use the mansion for any purposes. They just kind of left it alone, but they mm-hmm. used the farm buildings. Um, and what really th- that he did is he was trying to create this kind of religious self-sustaining oh, community. Course. Yeah. So he had like a boy's farm. Yeah. He had the girl's farm. And then he created like this printing press so he could print his own school books and teach the kids whatever he wanted to teach them. Oh, good. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, supposedly he had around 120 kids on the property. Um, and yeah, he just was running this orphanage with his wife. Um, eventually over time, children from the orphanage start running away. And apparently this is set near a river. So they cross the river into the town of Vermilion. Okay. And when they're found in Vermilion, they start telling this horrific story about what's going on at the orphanage. And these are some of the claims that the children make. They say that the food that they're feeding them, one of the the foods was corn, which is common. I mean, that's a big crop in Ohio, but they were boiling the corn in the same pots that they were also sanitizing soiled underwear in. Okay. They were not feeding them very often. Uh, They were sleeping in a quarters that was infested with rats so they were getting bitten by rats constantly uh in the boys farm there was only one bathroom with one tub so they wouldn't let the boys shower or or bathe very often and when they did they wouldn't exchange the water so it was the same oh god Mm -hmm. um i have no trouble believing any of that happened oh it gets worse uh they obvious i mean not obvious but as you can imagine they start claiming uh physical abuse of course and that they would actually rent them to local farmers to do farm work for them uh-huh. uh and they were getting given medicine i mean just like a list of horrific sure treatment. so all of these tales and remember this is actually this happened this part mm-hmm. of the story happened right so uh, the local law enforcement was like, we got to go investigate what's going on. There are a lot of claims being made here. And the Sprungers confirm it. They're like, yeah, we are doing this. What? They didn't deny one damn thing. And there were no laws at the time oh, regulating Jesus. what you could or could not do to, mm-hmm. at orphanages. So they couldn't, the, the authorities knew. Yeah. They just couldn't do anything about it. Oh my God. So... Two years after this investigation crops up, Mr. Springer dies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think Catherine might have moved back to Indiana or something like that. Uh, But essentially, the orphanage shuts down. uh, And for a time, someone purchases the land and starts renting it out to farmers. um, And then the children were kind of dispersed throughout the community. Uh, And over time, just normal wear and tear some of the buildings actually do burn down on the property Mm -hmm. um but what i thought was really interesting is very close to this town of vermilion was a town called collinwood and i say close it was about 40 miles east but a fire did break out at an elementary school in collinwood and 176 elementary students died because the fire consumed the stairwell Oh, shit. Wow. So you have to think, you know, that was a town that was semi-close here. And then those horrific things start happening, what were happening at that orphanage. Right. And then all these, all of these uh, just strange events. I mean, it is perfect fodder for oh, absolutely. an urban legend like that. 
Absolutely. That's fascinating how that came together then. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I just think that now I myself, that was a common one where I was growing up just because of the proximity we were to it. But I never went to Gore Orphanage. But if we can go. Yeah. I would like to go. We're going. I think that would be supremely neat. Now, it, it's supposedly very haunted. Yeah. Um, I think I think I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't just give one little shout out to uh, to James Willis's book, uh, Weird Ohio. Oh, Yes. Anything you want to know about the state that's weird pretty much is in that book. Yes. Um, and you can use it if you and your your fellow horror nerds and pals want to go out legally. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that because I've used it. I, I've consulted it and made notes um, oh, yeah. when, when I go out with friends sometimes. Um, but it it is awesome. Weird Ohio by James Willis. A wealth of information. So awesome. And we have to explore Ohio more. I mean, we're, we do. it's where we're from. It's where we're from. And... There seems to be a huge amount of weirdness of going on. Weirdness going on in this state. I mean, so, come on. I mean, yeah. we know we already know that. So yeah, that was just basic. I mean, for anybody who wants it, but for uh, our Ohio listeners specifically, right. weird Ohio, super fun, super good, super fun. Is it time for what the hell? Oh, uh, it is. Oh my gosh. Let's do it. Do you have a scary one, a gross one? No, actually, I don't. Okay. My what the hell is pretty tame this week. I still haven't forgiven you for the damn chicken. The chicken. Oh, the headless chicken. Yeah. Billy sad. the chicken or whatever his name was. That was very sad. I'm still mad at you for very that. Very sad. <laughs> okay. That was a very sad. <laughs> that was a very sad what that the hell. horrible. Yeah, that was really bad. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and go. I've got yeah. some boozy what the hells. Oh, I love that. Uh, we'll talk about booze since clearly the orb, the lonesome headlight has blocked yeah. uh, my consumption. My consumption. I think I can still consume a little bit. Yeah, let her rip. Okay, so I just got these three little things. I was on this really cool website, which we'll post. Um, I've got it for you. Um, yeah. Here is the legend, and I actually remember this one. Jägermeister is made with deer's blood. What? Yeah, but the verdict on that is it is not true. False, false, um, false. Because, first of all, it would be really hard to source a continuous stream of deer's blood yeah, um, into the liquor supply chain. Yikes. Yeah, how the hell would that um, happen? Well, I feel like I feel like it started because there's a deer on the label. Okay, natural transition there. Yeah, so um, probably just somebody said, oh my God, this tastes like deer blood. You know, uh, the recipe for it, I, girl, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> the recipe... Was written in 1934. 56 herbs, blossoms, and roots. Mm. It's made from. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know where. I don't know. Super weird. But there is a deer on the label, so that is my uh, guess. That feels yeah. That is like one of those secret things, kind of like the damn Snapple. That there was something on there, or the Procter and Gamble. Yeah, like okay, you're this reading means, really yeah, far into that this one. Means it was made with yeah, crazy. So here is the next one. Uh, people used to drink champagne out of women's shoes. That is very true. I've heard that, and that's true. That is true. Wow. Um, from the, the, the 20s. I mean, the 20s were a crazy time. Yeah. Um, apparently, it originated at uh, Moscow's Bolshoi ba- Ballet. Uh-huh. Um, spectators sipped vodka from ballerina slippers. Interesting. Yeah, and then it got popular over here in uh, the States. There's a club called Chicago's, it was in Chicago, Everly Club. Okay. It was a high-end brothel. So you can drink, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, drink booze out the shoes. 
Mm. Love that. <laughs> but yeah, true. And then huh. my final one, uh, the legend is that wine and beer are sometimes filtered with fish guts. Ew. Have you heard this one? No. Okay, here's the verdict on that. Sorry, vegans, but it is true in some cases. In some cases? Yeah, it's called fining. Okay. Um, The animal proteins work as a filter. Huh. Yeah, and then, you know, other, you know, scientific stuff happens in there. I mean, I have... Um, but there are um, there are some traditional methods. I guess you can filter things through egg whites, milk, and yeah, dried fish bladders. Really uh, interesting. Yeah, but there are apparently some vegan friendly options. So if you were really serious about it, you should probably look into how your your booze is how filtered. your favorite booze is filtered. Um, yeah. But they also can use seaweed and volcan- volcanic clay. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, in Beer's case. Um, Guinness was who made this fining process uh, so popular. They use uh, Isinglass. Hmm. What's that? I don't remember. I didn't write it down, but I remember. <laughs> shut up. I remember looking it up when I. <laughs> love that. <laughs> I looked it up and never wrote it down. I love that you looked at me and you posed it as a semi-question because you knew I was about to <laughs> yeah, ask. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it is a gelatin that is obtained from fish. Okay. Sturgeon in most cases. Um, and it's used for clarifying ale and to make jellies and glues. Oh. So, wow. So that yeah. would be an implication for a vegan, for sure. For sure. Um, they've used that method for uh, more than 100 years. Oh, but you know what? Hmm. Vegans, be happy. They did go vegan. Oh, there you go. Eventually. So, there you go. Clearly, this last one I didn't read fully, or I did, (laughs) and then just didn't internalize it, because why am I feeling like this is new information to me? You're like, wait a Um, minute. They went vegan. (laughs) Good Lord. That's great. That's really great. So I ended on a high note. That was I think, great. I think I'm just mad about my beer. I think you're really mad. And it's light. fair. I mean, that's really sad that it did that to you. All right. Hit it. Hit okay. it, witch. Um, this might be a commonly uh, known one, but did you know Jeffrey Dahmer attended Ohio State? No. Mm-hmm. What? It was for one semester. <laughs> And he flunked out and joined the army afterwards. So, I mean, it wasn't that long, but so I found that information out when I, so I attended Ohio State and I went, I mean, obviously one of the, there was like for your orientation, you had like a couple different social options and one of them was go on the ghost tour. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's like the only option for me. Yes. So I go on this ghost tour and they take you to a couple like creepy buildings. But then if you're familiar with Ohio State, You'll know it as the Oval, but for those of you not, there's like a central area of campus that's grassy and it's in an oval shape and it's got buildings all around it. And so, and it's a, it's a popular spot for students to kind of just hang out on the lawn. It's like a grassy area. And so you end the tour, we ended the tour at the Oval um, and that's where they tell you the Dahmer history and all that sort of thing. But my favorite thing is like, they tried to tell you that Dahmer haunted the towers that he... St- so he stayed in the residential ha- hall that is known as the Towers. There are like two yeah. towers on West Campus. Yeah. Um, and he's and they say they haunts the towers. I'm like, first what? of all, no, he doesn't. 
why would he come back to the Ohio State to haunt the towers? A, no. B, the scariest part of the tour was that some random college student decided he was going to not only fuck with us new freshmen, but also the poor tour guide that was giving it. And he was just standing on one leg in the center of the oval, dressed in all black, singing. (laughs) I was like, what the hell is happening right now? And actually, so that was strange in and of itself, but... A, a little time after that, after I'd gotten a little more established and found some friends, mm-hmm. um, we did our own kind of investigation about the hauntings at Ohio State. Yeah. And the creepiest place, I will st- stand by this to this day, the creepiest place at Ohio State is not listed on any ghost tour or haunted Ohio State list or whatever. And you're going to be mad at me because I don't remember the building name, but it is one of the buildings on the Oval. And I think they do interior design in the building, I think is what, uh, it might be Hayes Hall, if that's the building on the Oval. But the way it's structured is there's some stairs that lead up to like the, the door that you would go in. But then there are like some stairs that lead down. And if you go to the stairs that lead down, there's another entrance to what would be considered like the basement. Okay. And if you look in the windows, which you should probably not do because I don't think you're allowed down there, but we went down there. uh, And if you look in there, they just store a bunch of like headless mannequins (laughs) just in in the eerie dusk room in the basement, I believe of Hayes Hall. Creepy mannequin room. Scariest place in Ohio State. How long did you stay in there? Uh, Well, we looked through the windows for about two minutes and then decided if we see one of these damn things move, it's going to be a problem <laughs> and we're leaving. Is it that one? Yes, it Hayes is that Hall. one. Hayes Hall. Yeah. Yes. Hayes Hall. Scariest place on campus, in my opinion. And I don't even think that that's purported. It might be purported to be haunted, but I don't think... You're, if you hear about a haunted building, it'll be Hort, Orton or Pomerine, mm. but not usually Hayes. But Hayes is creepy as hell. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. No, he doesn't haunt Ohio State. I hate to tell no, him. No. That doesn't happen. I, I, yeah. Why would he haunt there? Um, there are a lot of urban legends and lore around college campuses. I know. Uh, a lot. It's really interesting. We should do a whole university episode. We really should. I mean, fun? Ohio University alone, <gasps> we could do a season on. That would be so fun to like. I'd love to go down to Ohio University and do some stuff because they have some really cool spots. It's also Athens is just a cool town. Yeah, it's a cool. It's, it's a, cool a really spot. cool town. It's a cool spot. But yeah, they have a ton of stories. A lot of really interesting cemeteries. Mm-hmm. You can go up to the ridges. Uh, it's owned by OU now. You can go up to it, and sometimes they have. Um, uh, they'll have exhibits and things in on the first floor, but I mean, obviously don't go and break into the place because please just don't. Right. right. Um, but you can at least go up and walk around the grounds and that's super cool. Um, there are a couple of uh, asylum cemeteries and mm-hmm. really, it's a really cool town. Yeah. I love Appalachian towns like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, but yes. Awesome. Uh, a campus lore episode. That'd be fun. Yeah, it'd be really There's good. There's lots of cool stuff to talk about. Well, thank you, listeners. Oh, here, we didn't say this. What the hell? What the hell? Yeah, okay, there. Done. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> done and done.
Thank you for sticking it out with us tonight and listening to a little bit of our favorite mm-hmm. urban legends. Yeah. Um, if you have a favorite urban legend that you'd like to share with us, we want to hear it. We definitely want to hear it. So you can send us anything you'd like to share at info at thehorrorsalon.com. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, follow us along on Instagram. That's at thehorrorsalon. We've got some fun content going up there all the time. And then we always encourage you to check out our website. Uh, We put all of our show notes up on there, Mm -hmm. which gives you all the links to the articles we use to come up with this content for you. And we encourage you to go down your own rabbit hole because we only scratch the surface on some of this stuff. We do. So it's thehorrorsalon.com. Go there, find all this fun stuff, and go on a fun, creepy journey yourself. And then finally... If you have been enjoying this podcast and you would feel so inclined to share with a friend or a family member or coworker or a random stranger walking down the street, yeah, we would love that. We would love to grow this little horror community. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a like, subscribe, I've comment. Heard reviews are very popular. Reviews. Yeah. We would love all of it. Yeah. And feedback. Yes. We know we're not perfect. We think we're pretty damn awesome, but we know we're not perfect. And if there's something we could do better, something you want to hear. Yes. Anything. Just, you know. Let us know. Let us know. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Takes a village to run Andemic and the Witch. It really does. (laughs) I can attest to that. Um, I mean, somebody, one of you out there was probably smart enough to say, hey, that ball's about the same size about uh, as halfway down that glass. Yeah, if we had only known. Um, it's going to get stuck in there. If we had only known that I before. Finished, yeah, I could have finished my tasty beverage. But, you know, what? it's fine. Everything's fine. With that. Okay. The candle is out. The Pazoos has been somewhat emptied, <laughs> stimmied by <laughs> giant glow ball (laughs) the pazoos is woefully still there still there still there what do i say next thanks for joining (laughs) (laughs) yep Yep. oh thank you guys so much for joining us honestly even on these nights where we do weird stuff you know like i'm i'm just i'm perplexed by the damn ball i mean it's very yeah. But thank you for joining us. Um, as always, I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. We'll catch you next time at the Horror Salon, where we curate the strange and unusual. Until dawn, do us part. Monsters, it's the witch and Anne Demick. 
Music for this episode is Rage by the 126ers. Check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras. Later, nerds.